everybody out there in the galaxy, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show where we go in to all the details of the galaxy far, far away, one topic at a time. My name is Mac, I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my fellow Imperial Cadet and co-host, Ross. Mac, it is fantastic to be back again this week. As I say every week, I'm so happy to talk about Star Wars. We are continuing the season of giving. We are. Last week. Wookie Life Day is almost upon us. Around the corner. When we started these giveaways, we had no idea how long it would feel in real time. It's I've had to go long. to the post office a lot. You've learned a lot about shipping. I have. It's been fun and totally worth it. Uh, thank you to all of our past winners. We hope you've been enjoying your items. Um, at this time, I think we've connected with everyone, but we have a little bit of news from last week's giveaway. Yeah, we do. So last week on our uh, uh, Leah episode, we -hmm. announced that we were giving away a copy of uh, Aliens Volume 1, Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, which is a great little collection of short stories that tales the tale of Constable Zuvio and uh, some other aliens uh, and creatures from around the world. Great mix of stories. Highly recommend it. And our That's winner fun. was Jedi Tessic. Yay! Yay! Congratulations! Awesome on you. We hope you love it. Uh, hopefully you have it by now. And if you don't, you will very, very soon. It's it's pretty awesome. We, we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Now this week, we have something new to give away. Yeah, we do. And this was something... That Mac actually came up I with did. for the giveaway. So Mac was willing to donate this item. Mac, tell the contestants what they could win this week on Star Wars All In. Okay, so um, a couple, it's a while ago now, we had Triple Force Fridays. And on Triple Force Fridays, uh, Mac went to his local Lego store and spent a lot of money. Um, and while he was doing that, he got all kinds of great stuff. He got a little A-wing to fill in with. He got his friend Ross, his early Christmas gift present, which has a Christmas porg in it. It's going to be amazing. Very excited. I've been out. I've opened a few days. Oh, yeah. It's about yeah. to start. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that it also happened was if you spent a certain amount, you got an exclusive 20th anniversary celebration of Lego set. And what this is, is a miniaturized diorama of the Battle of Endor, complete with ATST, the shield generator, bunker, and some trees. And it's just this cute little diorama. Now, um, I had every intention on building it, but after I built all my Legos, I was kind of looking around my house and going like, at the moment, I don't have any more room for Legos. And I looked down at this, I'm like, well, Ross has been giving away a lot of great stuff. I can give away something that's awesome and can go to a better home than mine at the moment. So we will be giving away that set and uh, we'll have some pictures on our social media, but it's a great little set. And like I said, it was an exclusive to that day, that sales event and the Lego store. So for collectors, it may be something you want to add to your collection. Absolutely. It's gorgeous. Can I enter myself? Uh, I mean, if what do you have to do to enter again, Ross? So, Mac, all you'll have to do is follow Star Wars All In on Twitter and retweet the tweet that uh, mentions this giveaway. All right. So if it'll you, be easy. Well, we'll do that. And when we use our random number generator, a dice, to figure out exactly who won, um, if you win, we'll probably re-roll. But we'll see what happens <laughs> when we get there. I'll have a proxy enter. 
I was gonna say I've liked almost all of those contest tweaks, and I I hope you didn't try to give it to me. No, so. no, no. You have never been in the drawing, nor will I be in the drawing as much as I'll want to. <laughs> so again, as we as we get. Uh, so much closer to Wookiee Life Day. This is another bonus that we're hoping that you uh, listen to. And also, it's just a great way for you to help mm-hmm. not only um, get something awesome, but promote our show and help our community grow. Yes, absolutely. So thank you to all of our past winners again. Thank you, Mac, for supporting me during this season of giving as yeah. we lead up to Life Day here. Uh, so for now, let's get off of giving and get on to some Star Wars topics because I am ready to get all in. Yeah, we got some nice presents to open unwrap for this episode, don't we? We do. So we're going to start out by talking about Tarkin, the man, the myth, the legend himself. The Grand Moff himself. Yes. yes Willif. Good old Willie. <laughs> so, Mac, oh, we God, talk no. about... <laughs> we're I wouldn't speak. call him that to his face. No. Oh, he would... Uh, it would not end well. He'd sick his Vader on you. <laughs> he just hold that so, leash. So let's talk about Tarkin. We'll probably spend about 45 minutes on him. Yeah, give or take. And yep. then we're going to go into everybody's favorite super weapon... The Star Killer Base. Oh, I thought it was going to be the no, yeah Star Killer Base. The Sun it's Crusher. The, it's the biggest oh. one though. Out of all of canon, it's the biggest. Remember the one. Death Star? It's bigger. It's bigger. Remember the Death Star too? I mean, it's bigger. We it's think probably bigger than they that. Didn't, they didn't have a diagram. Remember but, that Star yeah. Forge thing from Knights of the Republic? It's even bigger than that. I think you don't remember that one. It's okay. Well, no, I do. But I, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, there have been lots of other super weapons in Star Wars, just not in the movies. So we have Starkiller Base to talk about. So we'll spend about 20 minutes talking about uh, the interesting things that happen there and the buildup of it, the topography. It's going to be great. Yeah, we'll be, uh, yeah, it's about 20 minutes or so. And then uh, you will indulge me for the last uh, yes. segment. Because um, we're going to talk about the writing system that exists in Star Wars, the Arabish, the alphabet of Galactic Basic. If you would like to learn, stick around, because I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a blast. And all of that adventure begins right after this. Above the sky of Yavin, Will of Tarkin, Governor, Grand Moff, dedicated servant of the Empire, met his untimely end at the hands of a rebellious, ragtag, X-Wing pilot squadron led by Luke Skywalker. A bunch of anarchists, if you ask me. (sighs) What is happening in this galaxy? What is it coming to? That some farm boy can just come and blow up a giant space station just because he shot a few womp rats. He used to bullseye on his with his T-16. Why do we even let children bullseye native fauna of a planet? What is happening here, man? You know what? We need more laws. That's what we need. We need to show this rebellion that we are in control. We will have an effective demonstration against a more effective target, a military target... <laughs> But what system? Not Tatooine. Too remote. Too remote, too remote to too make a good demonstration. 
just you know, there are a bunch of guys in that boardroom behind him going like, yeah, too remote. It's too remote. That's what I said. Do you think oh you heard me say it? Okay. Yeah. Now you got me thinking about the fact yeah. that like there's a marketing team that's on the Death Star going like, all right, we killed Alderaan. Now we know that's going to score real low among the left side of the galactic politics. How can we spin it? <laughs> say they had vast weapon caches. That planet has no weapons. Hmm. Well, so they, they were, won't buy it. They were sympathizers me. of the rebellion. That's well, they why were. You blow they were. Up. They were. They were terrorists, Matt. They were funding it. They were terrorists, and there's no redeeming an entire. You can't planet. aid and abet terrorists. There's no negotiation no. with them. You just blow up their planet. There's not, and that's what Tarkin did. So let's spend it, some time talking about our hero, <laughs> Grand Moff Will of Tarkin. Now, so Mac, where should we start at the beginning? Let's begin. Or should we start in the middle and then go back until the uh, beginning? Okay, a couple let's. Of decades okay. Later? For the sake of our topic, <laughs> I think it's probably good. Let's let's begin with Peter Cushing. Let's talk about yes. his performance in the films, and then we'll stretch backwards we from there. We absolutely should spend the majority of our time talking about Peter Cushing, because he He's is amazing. what makes this character. This character would be nothing without him. So if you haven't figured it out by now, who knows? Maybe you've never watched a Star Wars we're talking, or maybe you're just not familiar with. He has a first name, Willif. <laughs> that, that might be it too. So we're talking about our good buddy Willif tonight. Uh, so Tarkin, as a lot of people would refer to him as, right. uh, is first uh, appeared to us in Star Wars in 1977, uh, Episode Four: A New Hope, as we call it now, and he is essentially the military leader. Of the Empire, or at least as we see him. I mean, would that be how you would describe him? He's... From our perspective in New Hope, he yes. is the top dog. The only person we know that may be greater than him is the vaguely referenced to Emperor. Right, right. And we don't really know. I mean, we think he's in control of Vader, but it's a little wishy-washy. But essentially... Well, according to we... Princess Leia, he's holding Vader's leash. Yes, I mean, that's true. That's true, right? We do we do get that, especially early on. He's very much in control of Vader. I think right. that wavers a little bit as the movie goes on. But yes, I mean, right. we know he's important because this big scary guy in this black armor and cape listens to him. Right. So we know he's wish. a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Now, Mac, tell me about Tarkin's story on the Death Star. Tell me what your thoughts are about the portrayal of the character and his actions, because he does a lot of bad things. So, I mean, I think the primary thing you get about Tarkin is his ruthlessness. Like, Tarkin is, you know, it's funny. You know, he leads around Vader, who's more machine than man. But, like, yeah. Tarkin is a machine man. Like, he is military efficiency given form. And his whole thing as he's presented is this just ruthless and completely and totally unremorseful military man. Everything is tactics and strategy to him. He doesn't really see any he, – he's, he's a great face for what we know of the Empire. Because when you think of New Hope, outside of some stormtroopers on a backwater, we really don't see the Empire the empire as a how do citizens relate to it sure so tarkin gives us the idea of he is the reason that we can't trust the empire why the empire is a force of evil why the empire is order brought down with a hammer that all of their peace their security anything positive from the empire is being coerced and militarized yeah. and you know he he represents that for us because, like, for instance, a military leader, which is how we are presented with Tarkin, even though his term is technically a governor, he's technically a 
political as well as military mm-hmm, position. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a politician. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, you know. You, you get this weird, yeah. but again, he's in this military uniform. So again, we, we understand that even the politics of the empire have been crushed into an industrial military complex. So you have Grand Moff come in and he just very casually tells his senior staff, oh, that won't be a worry anymore. We dissolve the Senate. <laughs> we we did away with democracy. It's gone. We and, will rule with a fist. And he's like, now the regional governors, people like me, will have direct control over our systems. Doesn't that make more sense? Won't that allow for peace, prosperity, and order to reign faster? <laughs> we won't have to wait on a bureaucracy of people yelling about what the right thing is. We'll make the calls right here. So that essentially means it took 19 years from the time the Republic was reordered into the Empire. Yes. Took 19 years for them to essentially abolish the Senate. And and, and he even says the last vestiges of the old Republic have been swept away. Yeah, it's funny so, now looking back, right? You've got your hindsight and your prequel movies and all that. But in 1977... Yeah, with all that was the just mater- a line. I say with all the material we've seen, you you get the idea that the Senate was probably neutered within the first five years, yeah. and it was just a token way to keep people as the military structure built yeah. up. Well, At, remember, we'll get to the Tarkin doc in a moment, but we, the tactics, which is direct yeah. control through military force, yeah. was just building up to a point until they could get yeah. rid of the Senate. Well, remember uh, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, I think this is only in the novelization. This isn't in the movie. But they talk about how, uh, I can't remember if it's Yoda or Obi-Wan, it's been a little while, is basically telling uh, Bale, like, no, like, don't resist. Keep being a senator. Right. Like, keep your duties going. Keep the charade up. And oh, when my. the time is right, we will, you know, come back. But, like, tell all oh. your allies, like, keep the charade going. All right. I have to get this thought out. Yeah. Does that mean that Bale got fired, essentially? Right. No, no. His daughter's doing the Senate. Princess Leia is the senator from Alderaan. Yeah. I was thinking, like, because... did Bale get fired and then come home to die? That would suck. <laughs> I mean, but uh, but again, yeah, he, he's he's leading House Organa on Alderaan. His daughter is the senator. Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're OK. Anyway, that's a total. Yeah, aside. no, that's good. That's all um, good. I mean, he's not necessarily leading the house. His wife, Brea, is. Well, but there's but the I other fun saying, thing, yeah. right, is like that's another thing we see about Tarkin is he is completely fine with someone who should be his equal or, quote unquote, his boss, a senator. He's totally fine with just arresting her with. At the time, no real probable cause. Like, they don't really have a legal case until Rogue One gets released to actually say that Princess <laughs> Leia is guilty of anything. Uh, they're just assuming. They're just, I mean, they're just locking her up. Like, You're a rebel sympathizer. We know it. Well, how can you prove it? We'll, we'll, we'll find proof. Doesn't matter. Going to execute you. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, I'm trying to think. Where in New Hope, what's the first time we see Tarkin? Is it? It's in the boardroom. It, it's right? in the boardroom when he comes in, and does he? I was to say, does he start with that council's been dissolved permanently? You know I, what? I believe so. But I, I think <laughs> that is where he starts, and that's just crazy. Like he, the first time we we see Tarkin, he's already saying like, "Oh yes, I have even more power than I did before you met me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he his presence is powerful because he enters a room, and all of a sudden, all eyes are on him. Yeah, and, and Vader, Vader's following him around. Who, up to this point in this movie, is the ultimate monster. Yeah. And we find out, oh, this is Dr. Frankenstein to his Frankenstein, I guess. Okay, crazy. Yes, absolutely. 
it uh i mean that's like almost 40 minutes into the movie i feel like mm-hmm. like it's pretty far in and that's crazy i mean this main character this in a way primary villain of well, this the film. antagonist definitely yeah. the antagonist um because again he is the symbolic representation of the empire and, and mm-hmm. you see that uh, there's um there's General Tag there who right before he, he enters is talking about about the like he's the only one in the room that seems to think that the rebels are an actual threat, <laughs> which in hindsight makes him seem real smart. Yes, it um, does. But he, he even says like um, the Senate's gone. How's the emperor going to maintain control without the bureaucracy? And that's when when like Tarkin presents his biggest character flaw, his hubris, his utter and complete and total belief in himself and others like him to do whatever. He's just like the regional governors now have control. Yeah. We don't need, we don't need bureaucracy fear, fear of this battle station. And, and that kind of gets into, um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but like the Tarkin doctrine is a thing that in universe is Tarkin designed that the entire empire, the way they were going to maintain control, maintain control is, a vast military presence across the entire galaxy in every section, in every region controlled by moths and grand moths who would make sure that no one could move an inch without them knowing. Yeah. And that controlling presence is right there because Vader starts, you know, the lack of faith (laughs) and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And Tarkin, Tarkin, who is almost disconnected from the suffering of one of his senior staff is like, no, actually, I still need him. Veda, release him. And Veda's like, as you wish. Yeah. Showing again. Oh, no, no, no. He's the top dog on this battle station. If you thought yeah. Vader was just hanging out next to him, like, no. Tarkin is the master of the Death Star. Yes. And as far as we can tell, the most powerful man outside the Emperor. Yes. Absolutely agree. So what else do we see from Tarkin on the Dex- Death Star? I think we should absolutely talk about his interactions with Leia. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So we see Tarkin, uh, I think maybe his most pivotal pivotal scene yes. in all of Star Wars is the destruction of Alderaan. Making him, until General Hux, the most sadistic looking monster in the entire <laughs> universe. Absolutely. So essentially, uh, Vader and Leia and Tarkin are all on the Death Star, mm-hmm. looking out at a viewport at Alderaan. Right? Yep. And so basically, they have been interrogating Leia, trying to find out the location of the Rebels' hidden base. But she's resisted mind probes. She's not given them up. Even Vader's just like, I haven't even looked in the force in her head. Like, it's she's never going to willingly let us do it. Yes. She's never going to give us that information. So they try a different approach. They threaten to blow up her home planet of Alderaan. We're going to kill all four plus billion people on your home planet unless you give us a reason not to. And Leia tries to beg and plead, saying they don't have a military, they don't have weapons, they're peaceful, they're neutral. But and, these bad men don't. And, uh, and the line you alluded to is maybe one of the most deliciously campy lines of overacting that Cushing gives, which is the Do you have another target? A military target? Yes. It's so good it is it is and then just the quick turn of phrase of basically you know leia basically lies and says they're on dan Tuine, and he goes okay uh still go ahead fire one ready <laughs> it's like uh make a mark of that in the notebook we need to visit there later mm-hmm. like continue with firing what <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're far too trusting like i love how he insults her for, for he's like like 
she's never going to give them up willingly. Like, oh, I'll break her. Ha, ah, I broke you. You're weak for being broken. Like, yes. He's so. He's ruthless. Cruel. Yeah. 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 He believes that he is right. 100% oh, of the time. In completely in the moral right. And we'll talk a little bit about his upbringing in a minute and how they've sort of added on to that. And Well, they, they worked backwards to create a character who would be that. Yes. Convincingly. So, yeah. So Tarkin just, you know, lightly puts his uh, index finger to his chin and his thumb onto the underside and watches on as a couple billion beings get mm. obliterated and their entire culture dissolved from the galaxy. Yes. Uh, and he just looks on without, not with you know, he doesn't have anger in his eyes. He doesn't have rage or malice. He's just looking on of, this is the next part of the plan. Yeah. And we need just, to stop this rebellion. And there's a gross part that he's just, you can see, like, you can imagine in your head after that scene, he's like, oh, all right. Well, princess, uh, I signed your death warrant. You'll be executed shortly. And um, let's all do lunch. Eh? <laughs> like are we ordering a, out there's a disconnect like i said yeah. that that little subtle movement he does with his fingers on his on his chin like shows the intellectual curiosity ha he has about a planet blowing up yeah but the complete and total disconnect he has for what he just did he's like oh Interesting. I guess that caused a planetary core to become unstable, which caused the entire thing to explode. Just like it said in the textbook. Impressive. Not thinking about everyone dying. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it, it's impressive. And and another sadistic thing. He's, he just parks there. <laughs> like, they literally must do lunch because the Millennium Falcon comes into the Alderaan system and the Death Star's still hanging out yeah. in what is now an asteroid field. Well, hey, until they get their next course plotted, you know, it takes time. Oh, yeah. You got to recharge the batteries before you go to Tatooine. <laughs> Take time and plug in at the supercharger. So... Tarkin's next big moment, really, is uh, he's talking with Vader about how his plan better work. Yeah. Basically, Vader's plan is to let the princess and her co-conspirators go to try and track them to the base. Oh, wait. There's one little moment in between there. Oh, sure. That shows a great great example of Tarkin. The only time I think he he's shows weakness, which is, is the... the so, um, you got the reports back from Datooine? Uh, yes, sir. We think there was a military base, but it's abandoned for some time. She lied to us. Can you believe that? I blew up a planet and she lied to us. <laughs> uh, and then that's, I think it's either right then or a moment later is when they get the, you know, we have a, a hall breach, you know, a, a security breach in AA-23 or mm -hmm. whatever. Everyone's like, hmm, the princess? Put all sections on alert. <laughs> but there's this great thing with the Datooine yes. where he's, he's just kind of like, she lied to us. That's really inconvenient for me. I had that lock, stock, and barrel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think Tarkin doesn't get surprised often. No. He typically feels like the smartest person in the room, right? He usually is. So when Leia is even still in that moment convincingly uh, tricking him, right? And it may not be that he fully believed her, but he did believe he had essentially gotten through to her. Oh, yeah. Right? He, he, he was believed fully he had convinced that. Her. With the threat he gave her, she was being honest. Yeah. So it, uh, I mean, still ends up working out in his favor uh, in that moment, right? They, uh, they hatch. Well, Vader supposedly, based on the dialogue, hatches a new plan to let them escape with a tracking beacon on their ship. Right. Right. And this conversation is happening essentially right after they leave the Death Star. So we don't know that this is happening. 
until they're already away. And what a swell way to, again, turn Vader and Tarkin not into Saturday morning cartoon villains to make them, oh, yeah, we were one step ahead of you the whole time. We let you escape. Yeah. That's the only reason you got off the Death Star. Yeah. All that work you did? Yeah. We let you do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, And so I think that Tarkin here is essentially doing something out of character, which is not going with the plan he believed was foolproof. Well, and also, um, I think the biggest thing for him, trusting someone other than himself. Vader, your hunches tell you that this, they'll go right back to the base. They better. Yeah, I mean, I essentially, it's the downfall. Tarkin's uh, ultimate death here coming up momentarily is due to the fact that just like everybody else in a position of power in the Empire or the First Order, their ego is their downfall. Right. And I think that's just a structural problem with it is I think it's because you have these tour de force personalities at the top. Like he's a grand moth. He's an over commander for an entire region of space. I think I think the entire outer rim in some level is his domain. Like to have one person with that much power, you're not mm-hmm. going to turn in anything but egomaniacs. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, okay, so speaking of which, yes. So we get to Yavin. Yes. The, the ploy works. He starts rolling around the planet, thinking we should have jumped in on the other side of the planet, but we didn't. Here we are. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not like the planet's going to run away. We'll blow it up. <laughs> and we're slowly moving around the gas moon of Yavin to get a sh- firing solution on Yavin Four. And he's a cat playing with a mouse. Like he's like, sir, we we have a number of ships coming in. Whatever. Yeah. Hey, sir, we have to go around the planet. It's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. he has no doubt that, oh, we found their hidden base. We're going to blow it up. And then the galaxy will be at peace. <laughs> yes. He believes their plan is foolproof. Like, at this point. Like, he thinks he has them. And so as the space battle gets going and these pesky rebel troops get into the Death Star because it wasn't designed for a tighter defense and they start blowing stuff up. You know, Gold Leader makes the run, hits it, and it bounces off the wall. It didn't go yeah. in. And a, a you know, junior lieutenant comes up to the guy. So we've analyzed their plans and there may be a vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> and Target's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Do you Do you see where you're standing? This is the temple to our power, my power. I think yeah. you really overestimate well, their chances. I, I love his line here because the the officer comes over and goes, shall we have your ship standing by? Yes. And he goes, evacuate? In our moment Mode of, of triumph? triumph? It's so good because he's so confident in their plan. Even until the minute he is blown into space dust, that last shot right before the Death Star explodes is him just sitting there kind of hunched over waiting for the planet to blow up. Just like he did with Alderaan. He's just waiting for that that satisfaction of like watching mechanically as step 352 gets checked off the list. Like, um, and and again, I think that, again, you see that hubris. He's like, we're not going to fail. There's no way we can fail. But I also like, he's not an idiot. Like, there's a subtleness to the idea of like, I think you overestimate their chances. He's not stupidly just saying they have no chance. He's like, even if you're right. The amount of things they'd have to do. I don't have to look at that. I know how secure this this battle station. I'm a you know, I'm a military man. Like, I know there are probably vulnerabilities to this, but like, they're not going to do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, Tarkin is as smart as a, of a villain as we see yes. in all of Star Wars yes. until we get to Palpatine in the prequels. Until we, we yeah, we establish Sidious and, and what he did yeah. to become Emperor. Yes. It really is incredible that we got this great character in this one-off movie. I mean, think about it. In 77, he's dead. He's not coming back. That's all we'll ever see of this great character. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> and what a weird place to be of thinking of like, oh wow, yeah, they're they're so powerful. You know, it makes me wonder like when you see like Piet or Ozel at the mm-hmm. beginning of like um Empire, do you think they're like maybe the new Tarkin? Like, are we looking for someone who's a face for the Empire to do? Like, who's in charge of Vader? And it's like, Vader's in charge of Vader. Vader's yeah. in charge of all of this. He's done answering to people. Yeah. It, I don't know. You know, as a kid, seeing Empire for the first time, I saw Empire before I saw A New Hope. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm the same way. I didn't have any reference for Tarkin until I saw episode four later on. I'm the same way. I remember being scared of him, of that pointy face. Oh, Peter Cushing does have cheekbones that can cut glass. Yeah. That's for sure. And and Peter Cushing, I was just going to mention, we don't usually get into too much of like the acting, but um, Peter Cushing got it. He did yes. a lot of horror films and a lot of, you know, over-the-top acting and more, you know, um, uh, braggadocious versions of, like, Shakespearean stuff. And, like, yeah. he knew it. It's the same reason, like, why Christopher Lee was an amazing I, cast. I was his, just going to say, Christopher Lee fulfills the same role in the prequels. They're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. And I think that's why Peter Cushing could look at this character and say, oh, yeah, he's kind of a one-note villain. And shape just some, like, intonations, the way he says the lines he's given, the the, yes. the stature, the, you know, the fact he's always got like a spine of steel, that yes. guy's never at parade rest, like just the presence and stuff that he brought to that character was fantastic. And just, um, just a little, little bravo for, for yes. Peter Cushing. Now let's go back and let's stitch up the, a little bit about the character and how he got here. And then yeah. we'll talk about the Last time we sort of saw Peter Cushing in film. Yeah, you mean the end of episode three? N- not exactly. We'll touch on oh, that. Oh, okay. We'll okay. touch on... Scor- <laughs> yeah. We'll touch on the guy who played Scorpius from uh, uh, Far- Farscape being in Star Wars, which was great. Um, but let's start at the beginning instead, for now. So, when canon began, so current canon, when Disney took over, the first book that got maybe just a handful of edits to make it fit was a book called... Tarkin, which is all about Tarkin. <laughs> it, believe it or not, that's true. It um, was. And so this is the first book where we're like, okay, everything else we've known about Tarkin in, in the EU is tabled. He, You know, the Death Star now since the prequels was made by Geonosian. There's a whole lot of different stuff. So here is Tarkin in our new canon and our first character portrait of what does the world look like where a world where the prequels have happened and that Disney's codifying with the Lucasfilm story group, all of this new structure. So it was really exciting. You and I both read it. Yes, we did. I remember it was um, when it came out, it was uh, published a weird time for Star Wars publishing where we were kind of in this weird, like is in between. Yeah. Like when it was published, if I remember correctly, I don't think we had gotten that like axe on canon yet axe on the old legend stuff. But then we found out that Tarkin would essentially be the kickoff Tarkin. Uh, there were that, a couple, they, they know, basically looked at it and them. said like, Oh, well all this will work for us. That's, that's canon. Yeah. Um, 
that other book that's coming out that that's legends now because a couple of legends i can't remember which ones but there's there's one or two legends that came out like after tarkin invincible and there's a couple yes as far right around that same time i remember uh so we have tarkin and we get a few pieces of interesting information about him from that book because that book isn't just in between the prequels and the original trilogy it actually gives us some flashbacks to tarkin Mm -hmm. as a younger boy right right mac yeah, so uh, we basically find him on uh, his home planet, which is, we're going to go with Iridu? Iridu? I'll let, I'll let you be the judge, listeners. It's E-R-I-A-D-U. Iridu? Now, Mac, you're the audiobook listener, so if anyone would know better than me, you would. <laughs> this is one of the few books I read. You read it on real paper? I read it. No, no, no. Oh, you read Kindle. it on the screen. Okay. Yeah, okay. No, I read no. it on real paper. Th- this year is the first count, is the first paperback book I've read in seven years. <laughs> I, I if I read, it's on Kindle. Okay, fair uh, enough. Or, or the ebook t- reader of your choice. I use Kindle. You know, I'm, <laughs> I read in electrons. Yes, but we're gonna say Iridu, Iridu. or Aradu. I, I, don't, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. But not Edu. But not Edu because no. that's in Rogue One. We'll get to that. That's a different one. Um, uh. But the whole point is, the thing that they establish about this planet is that it is a. There are a number of cities. It is a very you know industrialized modern world, but. It's a very dangerous planet. There is lots of really dangerous fauna and stuff out in the wilderness. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like kind of how a lot of people's imaginations are for Australia. You've got Sydney, which is a great metropolis. But once you leave to the outback, there's all kinds of things that will kill you. <laughs> like the <laughs> entire island of Australia is trying to kill you. I think that's a I think that's a good comparison. I think I could feel that. OK, so let's talk about Tarkin's family for a little bit. One bit of info that comes from that book that I find interesting is that Tarkin's family is this established family, this family built on tradition. So the Tarkin house, which had lived in basically the same, the Tarkin family had lived in the same compound, the same property for a millennia. 1,000 years for, (laughs) um, again, based as far as we know, for basically half of the Old Republic's existence. That's crazy, right? Now, his family was kind of rough on him, right? Teaching him to fend for himself, teaching him to be strong-willed and decisive. Uh, They basically would send him out on adventures into the wilderness, where he essentially had to prove himself by surviving. They had a very Darwinian sense that, like, if you were going to be a scion of the Tarkin house, you had to be, you know, basically morally incorruptible. You had to be physically fit. You had to be mentally strong and be clever enough to survive to any situation. And they kept throwing him as a youth at different points in his life, basically on these like sadistic hunting trips where they would basically take him out and they'd be like, all right, well, uh, we're going to go home. Uh, okay. What, what about me? Find your own way home. You're a Tarkin man. You'll figure it out. Yeah. It, it's crazy because it really adds a lot to, well, it's believable. I guess that's what it, uh, that's what it would say. It, it gives it, him a predatory way of looking at the world, which is why he's so cunning and ruthless, because yes. nature is ruthless. When it's you versus a wild animal, either the wild animal kills you and it eats, or you kill it and you eat. It's a zero-sum game. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they also make it a point that it's not just Tarkin learning these things on his own. He has guides and mm-hmm. tutors and pilot coaches and basically they want him to they're, succeed. they're grooming yeah they they make sure that they're giving this family this family is giving every one of their members the opportunity to make something of themselves 
essentially. Yeah. Now, as Tarkin gets older, he joins the local security force. And he has one encounter in particular uh, with some pirates. Yes. Where basically he's able to figure out these pirates' plan. Mm -hmm. He's able to essentially commandeer their ship and force it on a path, a slow path, towards a a star. Yes. Or a sun, you know, a a very hot ball of light. (laughs) Uh, And he basically sets them on a very slow but very steady autopilot course into this sun. And he broadcasts their open communication channel across, you know, the net, across the hollow. Yeah. And any ship that attempts to help them, he shoots them out of the sky. Yep. And he's basically saying, we're going to set an example out of this this gang of pirates. And basically, he forces the pirates to be slowly cooked alive inside their ship as they get closer and closer to this star. Publicly broadcasted. Crazy, right? Well, again, from his perspective, he's like... I have seen what happens and you have to assert dominance in the, in the wild, right? If you want the, the, the animals to respect you, you kill whoever the alpha and then you are the alpha and then they will respect you. And so he's got this primordial sense of hierarchy. Yeah. And that's basically what he does. He's like, I'm going to make an example of them because none of you will learn unless you know what the consequences are. He's a very, um, you know, like Jamaican governor from the age of sailing with a whole bunch of guys hanging out in front of the pier <laughs> saying pirates, ye be warned. Like, yeah, just he really is. He's brutal. And he actually I mean, that's a, actually a good example is he represents a very like English colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of just this heavy handed bringing the savage world to heal. Yes, I I agree. Absolutely. Uh couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Let's move on to the next part. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've got uh, basically Tarkin makes his way to the Solace Sector Spacefarers Academy where he meets Palpatine for the first time. Good old chief. And basically Palpatine suggests a path into politics. I think recognizing someone ruthless like he is and determined and someone loyal and dedicated. And uh, basically Tarkin uses him to uh, for help getting into the Republic Judicial Academy. Yes. So Republic Judicial Academy, essentially Tarkin is a lawyer. I mean, that's, um, is, yeah, it, he's you, a, is well, that how you describe it? Sort of. I mean, what I, w- I would think of him more of, he's a member of the Justice Department. Sure, sure. I, I don't know if he's actually a Maybe legis- not a prosecutor directly. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's, he's part of the Justice Department. He understands the is, law. Is, he's starting to blend from, you know, he was part of a, a sector-wide, you know, military navy. And now he's taking that military career and kind of turning it into a more political career. Yes, the beginnings of one. Absolutely. So, uh, basically, with Palpatine's help and assistance, Tarkiner then becomes governor of his homeworld, of Iridu. Yep. Iradiu. Iridiu. No. Aradu? Ariadu. Ariadu. I mean, that's... Of his home planet. Of his home planet, yes. Uh, so... Uh, that's a lot of what we hear. Well, let me put it this way. Those are some of the biggest events of Tarkin's early life. Right. Now, once the Clone Wars start, we do get a little bit more with Tarkin because Tarkin joins the Republic Navy. Yeah. So the the next like thing we really see from him in um, our world is he becomes Captain Tarkin. Now, Ironically, he still basically maintains governor, but it's wartime. So he's basically reserving the greater good of the Republic while his planet is 
doing its own thing to support the war effort. Yeah. Um, and this leads to him um, serving under the Jedi Master Evan Pell. Yeah. And um, basically, there's a series of Clone Wars episode where we get to see a portrait of a young Tarkin. And we get to see a lot of the same things we saw before. He is kind of ruthless. He has got this coldness to him. He's got an a insane sense of efficiency in what they need to do. And so basically when Evan Hell and he and most of their group get captured and sent to this extremely harsh prison, Tarkin seems to have handled it pretty well, all things considered. And um, when Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, Anakin and uh, Sokotano come to rescue them, he again is handling himself pretty well for a guy in a nice suit and a, with a blaster. Mm-hmm. And this especially comes to a head when they get to the place where they are dealing with the, um, the caretaker. So the, the, the sadistic guy who's running the facility. Um, because we see just how cruel and ruthless he is. And Tarkin's like some making some comments about the prison as they're like escaping kind of going like, well, it's actually a pretty clever design. Like, yeah, there, there's a certain amount of, what I think we were talking about in New Hope, there's a certain amount of like intellectual disconnect from mm-hmm. what is happening and what 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 the structure or systems around that are. Yeah. Like he's admiring the way this prison or is being run, even though he it was just a captive in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. He can appreciate the practical nature of anything. And there's a moment where he's about to lose his life, where he's about to be choked out and he gets saved. And there's this great little bit of gravity of just the way the characters talk. of just going like, oh, man, he could have been ended right there and we wouldn't have him in New Hope. That evil could have stopped right there, but we just saved him. Yeah. And like I said, it just shows that he is this just very Palpatine friendly kind of guy. Which is why immediately after this escape, he gets drafted into a special projects. He goes and works now for the special weapons division, which eventually leads to him to learning about during the during the Clone Wars about BD one, the the Death Star project, the yeah. ultimate weapon according to the Genosians. Yeah. Uh well, so he also has some time with Anakin. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And I think it's kind of interesting because there are moments where basically him and Anakin are agreeing on certain things about the Jedi where, you know, Tarkin's saying things like, you know, it feels like sometimes if the Jedi would just break their break their code and go a little bit farther, we could win this war already. Mm-hmm. Like if the Jedi were just a little bit rougher, a little bit more willing to go that extra step and, you know, take that extra life, this war could be over. Right. And Again, Anakin's basically saying like, well, yeah, I, I've felt that way sometimes, too. Sometimes we just got to do it. <laughs> and I find that really interesting, knowing that we're going to have so many other Tarkin and Vader moments As later on. Yeah. Uh, so, you were saying. So, um, so we know he joins the special weapons, and that's where another canon novel kind of comes in that we've both read, which is a little bit about his character leading up to Rogue One, where we see through the eyes of uh, Krennic, Orson Krennic. Yeah. Like this horrible rival of his that is Tarkin. Yeah. Because Tarkin takes his successes in the Clone Wars and basically co-ops those to become a governor of a system. Yeah. And eventually he, he a makes sector. his way to Admiral. 
Yes. He does make his way to Admiral because at the end of the Clone Wars, he serves as the prosecutor against Ahsoka. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right? no, I forgot about that. So, that's hey, totally that's true. okay. That's why we're both here, right? Yeah. So at the end of the Clone Wars, Tarkin serves as the person who is against Ahsoka in her trial, where she's basically set up, where she's framed. And basically, Tarkin, we see the same thing we've been saying, that ruthless, to-the-point energy of, I believe you're guilty until proven innocent. And I will find a way to prove you're guilty because that's what all the evidence is pointing to. I know you're guilty. It's just a matter of making the evidence corroborate that. Yeah. There is also one little moment from the Vader comics that I want to point out here where uh, basically... off the top of my head, I think it's from the Vader comics. I wrote it down, but then I didn't look up the source because I remember reading okay. it. Okay. Where basically, uh, Vader is proving to all of the officers that he is in charge. Mm-hmm. That basically he will not tolerate failure and he is in charge. And the Emperor basically tells him, you could do whatever you want to do, but just spare Tarkin. We need him. <laughs> and I love that because at the end of the day, no matter what the chain of command, no matter who's in charge... It's Vader and the Emperor. Right. They are the only ones who see Vader most of the big picture Hmm. and the Emperor, obviously, all of it. But even when Tarkin is in charge, Tarkin is still just a, what is it Snoke calls a hox, a rabid cur? A rabid cur. You know, maybe not quite to that level, right? Well, well, I think the thing about it is the Emperor sees Tarkin as he's the man I need to run my military Yeah, for me. It's mine. Yeah. But he's a necessary cog in my machine. Absolutely. Uh, and it's clear that the Emperor trusts him. I think that's the point of that. That is that's a good the point. thing I want to say yeah. because the Emperor tends to test people. Yes. And we've seen the Emperor test Tarkin, you know, right. by uh, offering him, you know, allies and getting him outside of the chain of command and basically right. giving him the opportunity to betray the Emperor. And Tarkin never takes it. Tarkin stays steadfast in his path and his because plan. Because the weird thing about Tarkin is while he is ambitious, his goal is peace and prosperity. Like, he really mm-hmm. does want to make the world a very orderly and safe place. So he he like, he like doesn't want to usurp the emperor. He loves the fact the emperor is like, good, you take care of the politicians, I'll take care of the work. This is a great relationship. And, and I, I think that's... Like you said, it's they they have an interesting interplay of there is an amount of respect that Tarkin gets mm-hmm. that we feel that no one else in the entire Imperial military gets. Absolutely. And to your point, talking about Krennic and the other Imperial military, yes. it's interesting because whether it's through Tarkin's own ambition or through the Emperor's plotting, Tarkin is always sort of going up mentally against some of the Emperor's most ambitious guys like Krennic. Guys like Thrawn, guys like Vader, right? The people who the Emperor himself holds the most close, and you almost get that there's maybe part of the respect for, for the Emperor is like he tests those people the way the Emperor would test them. Like yes. he he's fine with a lot of those people. Like like he even in the book, kind of like he has a respect for Krennic. It's just Krennic's thinking too small. He's yeah. not worthy of this machine because he doesn't see the ambitious that it can be. Yeah. I also just want to frame, because I don't think I mentioned it, Star Wars Catalyst, which is yeah. the prequel novel to Rogue One, yes. is mostly about Galen Erso, Jin's father, and Krennic, and their relationship, their friendship. But also we see from Krennic a lot of information about the Death Star project, of how Geonosians built most of it. 
And then we got rid of the Geonosians because <laughs> they rebelled. So we wiped them all out. And yeah. then Krennic takes control of it and basically sees it through to completion. And then Tarkin's like, oh, that's complete. Great. I'm ready to take delivery of it. And Krennic's like, no, this is my baby. I built this thing. And Tarkin's like, I know. And now I'm taking it. <laughs> which leads us yeah. into the finale of that conflict, which is Rogue One. So we see some Tarkin in Rogue One, Mac. Yes. Why don't you explain a little bit about how that happens? So, all right, let's talk filmmaking for one second, and then we'll go into the, the story, which is better. Okay, so this is a interesting pioneered technology that ILM has come up with. It's the pioneering version of what they do a lot, especially like the like um, Captain Marvel. Their de-aging system is based on the same tech, which is you have an actor or actress who is doing a motion capture. They have the motion capture equipment on them, and they are performing the character. Then what we do after that is we are mapping onto them a CGI mask, a mask that flows and works and is tweaked by animators to make you literally have a different face, make that motion capture performance map onto a different set of emotions, a different set of um, rigging to a face because we put it on Peter Cushing's super high cheekbone face. This technology is interesting because they, you know, basically... Tarkin in Rogue One is the combination of three different things all coming together. We have a Peter Cushing digital facsimile that was made from a death mask he made before he died, um, which gave them the 3D modeling they needed to make a person who's no longer with us um, come back to life. Um, Then they used archival footage to build the textures that would make him look flesh-toned and all that stuff. Then you have an actor who was on set performing the character and doing the motion capture for the broad strokes. He is Tarkin from The Caller Down. Yes. And then the last thing is you have a person who does the voice to be a sound alike for Peter Cushing and to create a voice that matches this whole facsimile. And my general opinion of Rogue One is there are some of those scenes which are horrifyingly, creepily perfect. Yes. And then they have like five other scenes they probably shouldn't have done because they they basically they got the technology to work and they probably showed it too many times because it does by the I feel by the time you go through the movie, it does falter a little bit the further it goes. I agree. I agree. I love all the stuff where you see Tarkin and he's reflected in the glass. The first scene you see is the 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 dish, the reflector dish for the Death Star cannon basically mm-hmm. being lowered. And you see him like from a high angle on a glossy black, essentially reflection yeah. as he's kind of doing the chin thing. He's kind of like observing the completion, the final christening of this battle station yeah, yeah. with just this detached interest. And then he turns around and starts to talk. And while I do think it looks much better than most people give it credit for. You know, like when I'm seeing Tarkin in this movie and we see a little bit the same thing of Leia at the end, I really, every time I hear someone say it looks bad, all I can think of is, I mean, it doesn't look perfect, but this is like, this is incredible. Like, don't you see what's happening here? I mean, the 
debate about should actors live on beyond their life aside because i do yeah, have some yeah. opinions let's, on that let's, let's take the moral the, yeah. the moral quandaries that could come up from this yeah because i do have some thoughts but for what we see and what they present to us on screen it may not be perfect but it it's 90 percent. i mean it's incredibly impressive and it only has gotten more impressive i am one of the people who think lay at the end of the movie looks great I don't think I mean she's it's not an exact replica again but it's more than good enough. I, and I would even describe Tarkin as good enough but I can see where people's opinions come from. But every time someone says it looks awful, it looks terrible, I'm like go no, no, watch no. It, it Boa was... straight to VHS from 2000 and then tell me that this looks terrible. Right? Like, go watch an awful CGI movie and then tell me this looks terrible. Yeah, because I think the thing that I'm with you on is the fact of, like, people are beating it up entirely too much. Yeah. It is is one of the most impressive versions of that effect. And again, you know, all the things we've seen in the Marvel movies since, like when... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is de-aged in Civil War when we have an entire film where Samuel L. Jackson is, you know, 30 years younger, essentially, for the entire movie. That all that technology has matured since then. Like I said, I think the general thing about it is it it was around long enough for you to see the cracks if you were looking for them. If you're not looking for them, I think it's completely convincing. But I think the last thing about it, and I think this is maybe the reason that, again, hit the creepy factor or in this movie may have damaged the performance a little bit is we don't need it to be Peter Cushing. We know he's dead. It's okay. Yeah. Cause we saw, I'm not gonna remember the actor's name, but he played Scorpius in Farscape. Great actor who played him in the little cameo at the end of three, where he's on the bridge of the star destroyer with the emperor and Vader and looking at the skeleton of the death star. And he basically just, Oh, it's uh, Vader. I'll turn around and leave now. Yeah. And he had some a little bit of prosthetic to just sharpen his cheekbones so they he had the same facial structure as Tarkin. I'm like, and that would have been fine. No one looked at that and gone, who is that? That doesn't <laughs> look like, that's not Peter Cushing. He's too young. Who is it? Like, yeah, it's the same reason I don't like hating Christians at the end of Return of the Jedi is like, no one was confused about who the man standing next to Obi-Wan and Yoda was, yes. even though it's a different actor. Like, we, it kind of insults the audience a little bit when you could have just had another character actor play Peter Cushing's version of Tarkin. Yes. And probably got the same work done. I think actually the Leia at the very end of Rogue One is kind of more important that it's actually Leia. Whereas I think Tarkin, yes. especially with how many times, how often he was being obscured, that if all we saw him during the talking sections was another actor, we probably would have been like, oh, yeah, in a couple of scenes, he's going to be Peter Cushing. It's fine. I agree. I agree. When you have those quick little moments like Leia, I think it is much less distracting because you don't have the time. Well, because we don't have a bunch of other dead actors during the space battle over Scarif in their X-Wings come back to life. It's fine. I think the thing that we saw that was interesting to me was I think that that technology also hurt the story because we talk about Mag not liking Rogue One a lot. But I think the brilliant book Catalyst and the character sketch that gives of Krennic and his rivalry with Tarkin really makes it feel like none of that made it to the movie because they got good enough with Tarkin that Krennic really doesn't need to be there at all. Yeah. Like at all. He He's really doesn't do note. He really doesn't do anything because because Tarkin from the word go is the de facto owner of this the Death Star. All it is is Krennic 
vainly trying to take it back, and he never does. Yeah. And that's all that happens. And I feel that in other drafts of the script, when they were more scared of that effect and if it would hold up, I would suspect Krennic carried more of the weight. Like, when Jeddah gets destroyed, I'm going to guess there was a version, maybe even filmed, where Mendelssohn is the one, you know, the actor playing Krennic sure. is the one who gives the command to do that. Right? Sure. And that's just that. And and to be honest, I think that should be the way it is because he should get the honor of firing it the first time. And that makes Tarkin's reactions and interest more logical when he does Alderaan. He hasn't shot this thing yet. Yeah, that's fair. But anyway, that's all fair. Um, It is it is very cool to see that that worked, though. Yeah. And to have a little bit of expansion mm-hmm. of Tarkin's character. We, we get a little more time. And I, I'm, I mean, we will never be able to go back in time and know what was the world like, you know, we're not Tavon, our guest from a previous episode who, you know, can know, <laughs> oh, I saw Rogue One and then I saw, saw New Hope for the first time. Yeah. Like, I'm curious if that expanded and made it feel like when he walks in the room, it's like, oh no, that guy again. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if that has a different yeah. energy to it. Yeah. That's a really good question. Uh, you know, in... Another decade or two, maybe we'll find out when more people are seeing them for the first time. Uh, it's interesting. I Do you have anything else to say about Tarkin? No, I, I, I adore the character. And like I said, to me, Tarkin's best role and where I hope he still yeah. plays around in further content is he is the face of the Empire. If the Empire, the, the machine that is the Empire could have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a person to inhabit, it is Will of Tarkin. I agree. Uh, I think one little interesting fact about him that maybe we don't talk about or think about as much is he was killed by Luke Skywalker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like you don't really think about that. Along with the other like 4,000 people on that station, he was <laughs> directly murdered. Hundreds of thousands. He Hundreds murdered a lot. A lot of people. But that's kind of funny to think, right? Because Luke doesn't really have a lot of kills. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 no. you know. What you're saying is, we don't think of Luke having a lot of kills. Well, yes. He murdered an entire, like, aircraft, like, five aircraft carriers worth of people. Yeah. Well, I, what I'm okay, saying Okay, I'm sorry. Is, air right. quotes. People. Right. <laughs> Our stormtroopers Some really of them people. were just contractors hired <laughs> to do the work. Yeah, okay. we can go back to clerk's references and talking about uh, how many civilians were on there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because, like, Luke doesn't kill Vader. Luke doesn't kill the Emperor. Nope. Luke doesn't kill Boba Fett. Luke doesn't kill Jabba. Luke is never the one overcoming the primary villain. Except right. for here when he kills Tarkin. He does. He doesn't even defeat Vader in the trench. That's Han. Well, sort of. Inadvertently, well, that's Han. No, 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 no. It's Han, like you said, defeating him. They don't yeah. kill him, but he's yeah. defeated. But I find that when you think about it, Tarkin is the biggest bad that Luke ever kills. By his own hand, yeah. And I find that really interesting. That is really cool. So just one little, you know, kind of thought I had while we were doing the research for this topic is Tarkin dies at the hands of Luke Skywalker. That's fantastic. Just a, a little, a little, uh, you know, boy from nothing, from a dirt and, fall of a planet. And on that kind of mind-blowing, like, little meditation, I think we'll move on to something Let's else. Let's do it, yeah. Alpine snow scene. We find ourselves on a 
serene planet, mostly untouched by human hands. Vast plains of snow with rising evergreens. It's a beautiful, serene place. It is. Fortunately, right around its belly is a continent-sized superweapon. <laughs> I'm, of course, speaking of Starkiller Base. Does it have an oscillator? Oh, oh, it's got an oscillator. It's kind of its weak point, to be oh, honest. Oh, no. You would think they'd see that coming. You know what? Let me show you something. Okay, I need you to understand how big this thing is. Here is the original Death Star. It's like a, like, like what's that? Like a... Like a tennis like ball, a tennis ball, right? Yeah. And here's Star Killer Base, beach ball sized, right? That's bigger, maybe even bigger. It's too bad it's not. By the, the same way, as the by Death the way, Star. there is no other frame of reference between there. There was no other Death Star to reference towards <laughs> that. Most of the people in this room are probably more. You, did anyone here at Yavin? Never, no. Just like okay, okay. Raise your hand if you were at Endor. Oh, most of you were at Endor. Okay, okay. So you would. Well, you know what? I didn't have a map for. Sorry, I'm a pilot. My name's Snap Wexley. I had a, I had a CAD model for the original Death Star. I don't have one for the Death Star Two. It's got those crinkly bits. It's a high. Anyway, the point well, is maybe Starkiller's huge. <laughs> maybe when they're holding up, you know, they're they're showing the Death Star, the original Death Star, on their display there. In uh, episode seven, The Force Awakens, if you haven't figured out what we're talking about by now. Yeah, sorry. Maybe those uh, the plans that they stole originally in Rogue One in episode four are how they have the mock-up of the original Death Star. That could be it. Maybe they don't have a reference from the archive of the Empire. Because think about it, the Death Star 2 was never finished. You know what? You know, the blueprints were on the station. They didn't have a backup I gotta tell you, that makes me a little sad, though. Why is that? Many Bothan died to get them those second plans. Yeah, but they got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, you know, your bureaucracy. You're like, I, I'm pretty sure I left it on that hard drive. Oh, oh, it's not there. I, I'm sure it's around here somewhere. Yeah. R2 still had those original Death Star plans saved in the memory banks. So the, that was the problem. They didn't make a backup to R2. So I mean, so let's talk about this base because it's wild. Star Killer Base is simultaneously one of the most interesting things in the sequel trilogy, but at the same time, kind of like another super weapon. Well, it's one of the most. So when people get really down on episode seven and they say new hope 2.0, yeah, I think this is the place where it's the most. Yeah. Hit you over the head with it. And it's because not only is it a super weapon, which is fine. That's 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 a trade that Star Wars plays in. It's it's going back to the old serials with oh no, Emperor Ming has the death ray and he's aiming it at Earth. Like yeah, you know that is a classic trope of World War II and post World War II storytelling. Yes, because when we were fighting Germans, we were finding out like they have rockets that they're sending to London. They have like they have guys with flamethrower like. Where have they been inventing all this crazy... What else do they have? <laughs> like, and to this day, we see movies like Hellboy talk about, like, what if, what if the Germans had all these kinds of other crazy weapons that, that we never knew about? Or, or you know, or they're studying the occult, like in Indiana Jones. Like, there's a mystery that we like of the idea that in secret, there's a super powerful weapon you didn't know about, and thanks to our heroes, we're going yes. to narrowly avis- miss it being used against us. But like New Hope, we see this one get used in, to be honest, a way that is really hard not to feel of like, 
You know that scene, you know scene with Alderaan? Where they blow up Alderaan? We have that, but it's bigger. It is bigger. Let's talk about how it happens. So we have Hux giving his Nazi speech. Uh, to yes, yes. This his... is the point where if, if you've dealt with us, where like the Empire has been humanized over the year. In canon, a woman can be a stormtrooper. Thrawn doesn't have to deal with racism every single day because they're open to aliens. Masamita is one of the top guys in the Empire and he's an alien. The xenophobic Empire of the old, it's a new, kinder, friendlier Empire. <laughs> However, the First Orders are effing space Nazis. They salute in everything. <laughs> They're very hardcore in their beliefs. They are, they are, they are an alternative to the left. They are all... Well, all of those stormtroopers are indoctrinated from childhood. Yeah. I mean, they're the... They established the First Order as being a far less... Even the even compared to the empire I grew up, which was a very sexist and very xenophobic place, like, they are... Unlike the Empire that also has all these people in that are probably good stormtroopers, good Imperial officers. They're fighting for their homeworld. They're trying to keep the security that we want after the Clone Wars. Yeah. They remember the destruction and chaos of that. There are good people in the Empire. First Order has none of those. The First Order is all full of insane zealots. Yeah. Whether they were like Hux, they were raised that way and believe that mm-hmm. and are true believers. Or they're like what Finn escaped from, which is nightly and yeah. daily indoctrination and mm-hmm. being stolen as a child so you don't have the option yeah. to learn any other way of the world. And what they've started to establish in canon now in these last couple of years since basically 2015 is that if you agree with the First Order and you believe rule of law is the way to go, rule with an iron fist, similar to the Empire, I think they've added in some moments with Kylo where he's basically like, yeah, the Empire was weak, we're stronger. Yeah, like we're going to be. We have to be harsher mistakes because they were they were just soft enough to fail. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's what the emperor believed, right? Mm-hmm. That was the whole point of his backup plans. Was you failed me? I need to teach you a lesson, and the strong will survive, and yeah. the weak will die. And that's sort of what we have going on here, where the people who really believe in what the first order stands for rise up the ranks. Yeah, and the people that don't either stay low enough where it doesn't matter or they like mess up janitors. and get executed or they defect. Right. That's sort of what happens. At least that's the little bit we've seen. This, so this far. club has no room for people who are sort of into Nazism. You have to be all the way. Yes, very much so. So we have Starkiller base and Starkiller base is different from the Death Star in many ways. Yes. The only real things that it has in common are that it's a, a super weapon. B, it uses Kyber, and C, it can destroy really large targets. Well, it's, yeah, the different, it's the same idea. It's a mobile battle station. Yes. Except instead of being completely technological, it's a holdout planet that they've started moving around. Because we we looked up before the show, we did some research and... It, it can move. It, it's not in the system it lives in. Yeah. It, it can it can go through hyperspace. It can yeah. go to different targets. So it's built in the unknown regions, and right. it essentially steals energy from the stars, right? Yeah, from it the sun. sucks all the plasma and fusion out of a star, almost exhausting it, or if completely exhausting yeah. it, and then redirects that in a cannon that actually fires through hyperspace. It does. So they call it, uh, they do have a name for it. Let's see what it is. 
Uh, so what did they call it? I had it pulled up here. It's okay. And then I, mean, I lost my space. Because it's kind of crazy because not only does it, it's not like the Death Star where you see the beams form and it shoots once. Like it can fire at multiple targets as well because what we see wiped out is the Hossian system. All like the entire system. All the handful of planets planet. just wiped out. So it's the power of the Death Star, but it's beyond that. Hyperspace tunneling is what it's called here in the Wikipedia article. Which is why people like even at Maz's castle can look up and see this red streak traveling through hyperspace because there's so much energy being channeled that it's it's affecting normal space. Yeah. And so you have this beam of energy shot across the galaxy to the Hosnian system. Mm-hmm. And as it enters the Hosnian space, you see it split Yep, and hit every moon, planet, everything in the system. Wiping out the entire political center of the New Republic. Yeah. Every single senator, every everyone who's on the planet at the time, destroyed. Plus, the entire home fleet. The only military the Republic has left is in the Hossian system. And the entire system destroys itself. It's completely obliterated. It's crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy that in one move, they were able to wipe out the entire structure of the government. Yeah, it's the idea of like, it's not like, um, you know, when we think of like mutually assured destruction movies from the Cold War of like, oh, they might take out Washington. No, this is like taking out Earth to get rid of Washington. (laughs) Like, it's overkill on a galactic yeah. scale. <laughs> you know what really sucks for all the people in the Hosnian system? The New Republic had a moving capital. So it wasn't like in the Old Republic where it was always on Coruscant. Uh, at first, you know, in right. our in our timeline here, the New Republic's original home is on Chandrilla, the yes. homeworld of Mon, Motha, Mon, Mon Mothma. The first, uh, do they call her Chancellor? Do they call them Chancellor in the New Republic? I don't remember because they're so often just referring to her as Mon Mothma. Yeah, um, I can't remember now off the top of my head. But again, relating to charge. like to relate it to like the American Revolution, like this is Philadelphia. This is never supposed to be the permanent capital. But here's where we're going to draft all of our documents, yeah. establish our powers, and re-sign the Galactic Constitution, if you will. And then eventually, like I think it it does end up on Coruscant for a smidge, doesn't it? If that's in canon, I can't remember that off the top of my head. Not aftermath might have mentioned. Well, the point of the matter is, well, that's where we know it's from Chandrila. No, it's on yeah. Chandrila. Well, yeah. the point of the matter is, we wanted they wanted it to be decentralized. They don't want it to be yes. just that. So for some unknown period of time, at least five or six years before um, Force Awakens, according to Bloodline, it's on Hossian. Yes, and the Hossian system is the host, if you will. Yes, which, which like you said. Really stinks because you could just imagine like, oh, yeah, we're packing up boxes. We're actually going to the Namian system next. We all we're all going to move in the next election year. So Hossian has been a great host. It's been wonderful. And then they're all dead. Man, that Republic just can't get anything right. They're always getting destroyed. You know why? Because they don't because they're they're moving the capital around. How efficient is that? That's so stupid. We need a strong central. I think the centralists have the right idea of reestablishing a central powerful government to run all this stuff let's reorganize this new republic into the second galactic dictatorship um empire empire the empire was good it had plenty of great traits yeah remember alderaan yeah so again so you have these these this junta these insane like zealots for the 
the um, Empire, which I, you know, I tried to look it up. I couldn't find it. I was looking it up for something different. Like, as far as I know, the First Order is because it's the first contingency plan for the the Emperor. Is The First Order is go to the Unknown Regions and reorganize. Mm. And that's sort of where the First Order gets its name. And so they're the craziest of the craziest. They're the hardest core of the hardest core. Yeah. And the, what's the first thing they do? Let's build another Death Star. Yeah. But better. But bigger. Even bigger. Even bigger. Even though most of the place isn't used. The point is, <laughs> someday. Um, so SoCal Base is also the de facto capital of the First Order. It's where the majority yeah. of their infrastructure is, other than their fleet. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we see that start almost die. But it's still got enough juice that they're going to totally blast the car out of the out of the galaxy too. Yeah, it it goes ahead and it absorbs another another star, and uh, they basically make a big point of saying, once the light's gone, the we are too is dead. Yeah, because yeah, we're gonna blast up. Yeah. Hey, they're gonna blast the entire Dakar system just to just be sure. To be sure, right? Stomping on us isn't enough. They have to blow us up too. And but luckily, luckily, much like every other super weapon we see in Star Wars, there's an Achilles heel that there's no way they'd be able to stop us using that method. <laughs> so as it turns out, this thermal oscillator that runs in the planet that Han, Chewie, Finn, Ray sabotage from within. Yes. Right. Basically, they're able to blow up a hole big enough that Poe Dameron can fly his X-Wing into this thing and shoot around it a couple times enough to weaken it. That essentially, when it goes to fire, the energy that it absorbs causes the planet to implode. We get the idea that the oscillator is some sort of control unit that controls the ability of the planet to contain and hold on to all that heat and redirect it. And by destroying this oscillator, the systems that hold that heat fail. And so it can't redirect it, so it goes where it wants to. Out through the planet. Yeah. Which blows it up real nice. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Uh, so the planet, as it implodes and as we see it kind of take its last gasp, we know that a lot of the First Order first forces have been destroyed. We know that Hux has escaped along with a few other key characters. Uh, but essentially, that is the end of Starkiller. Although, I do want to talk about one more part of it. Mm -hmm. And that is its forested area where the battle between Rey and Kylo Ren takes place. Mm -hmm. I really love this landscape. This may not be well, my favorite emotional battle in Star Wars. It may not be my favorite from fight choreography. But as far as the setting and the blue and red of the lightsabers reflecting off the snow well, I think the and whole, the giant trees, I think it's outstandingly the beautiful. The whole planet's beautiful because... We, we've been talking a little bit like um, we're getting ready for Rise of Skywalker and there's a new desert planet, which is called Passan. And I've critiqued a little bit of like, wh why is it not Jakku or Tatooine? Or can you show me something about this desert planet that makes it look like not other desert planets? And I think one of the things that works for Starkiller Base is Starkiller Base is an ice world. It's a snow planet, just mm -hmm. like Hoth, except unlike a just empty tundra, it has this alpine forest. It has a character that makes it feel different. And we see some of this of, it reminds me of almost like James Bond installations. Cause you have the base itself, which is again, this giant scar, this cummerbund around the planet. Mm -hmm. um, and inside there, we see all this very beautifully like earthen cut tunnels 
that with these military stri- structures built on top of them. It's almost like you can see the, the First Order forcing this nature out of its way yeah. to make make it, you know, because, I mean, Starkiller Base in and of itself is such a dark side thing because they ruined a planet and turned an entire living ecosystem into a weapon. Like, they're monsters. They absolutely um, are. And so when you see, like, all this stuff and they're they're running around and, you know, you see how deeply they've cut into the core when, you know, Han Solo falls into this essentially bottomless pit because of how deep the installation goes into the planet's core. It, it just shows how much the First Order has taken dominion over it which is greatly counterpointed of they escape to what the only part of the planet that still has living things the only part of the planet that probably has any tinges of the light side which is this living forest and the snow does a great thing of like reflecting the colors of the lightsabers um the trees give us something to hit that shows the impact of the lightsabers and it, it's like you said, it's just, it's a honey of a place to have a fight. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Thematically, uh, the way it appears and is depicted on the screen, I think is gorgeous. Absolutely. And I, I think it's awesome. We're going to get some more snowy stuff in the rise of Skywalker. So I'm excited to see what JJ does there. Yeah. So star killer base, much bigger than the death star, much stronger than the death star, much snowier than the death star. Probably and less people died there overall. Probably. The, the First yeah. Order definitely doesn't seem as big. Yeah. And also, it's gone. So the fleet just goes, well, we'll go to Dakar. And then we go right into The Last Jedi. So, um, <laughs> pick up you right know, they, they blew off. up Starkiller Base. Yeah. And uh, they have, like, what, 45 minutes to take a breather before they need to get the ace out of there. <laughs> just enough time to pack up. But that's, that's and a And to tale. change 3PO's arm. Well, yeah. Or just spray paint it. We don't know. It could be right under there. But again, Starkiller Base, very interesting. I, I think admittedly just one of the more photocopy feeling parts uh, uh, of the First Order. They did a great job establishing it as a setting, but its role is definitely, I think, a, a, a reasonable criticism. But I think looking too deeply into it because it's a great place. Its weapon is terrifying. Yes. And it sets in motion everything we need it to to make a new trilogy where the First Order is this incredible threat. So, yeah, it puts them on top. It ultimately does what it's meant to. The First Order is a small force that by the end of The Force Awakens has now become the dominant military force in the galaxy because they were, surprise, surprise, people on the other side underestimated them. And last thing I'll say about Sarko Base, all right, after like 17 different tries and different ways of weeding it in there, we have the official way we got the original name of Star Wars, The Adventures of Starkiller. We finally got into canon in a way that's permanent and big. <laughs> it's not the We're not secret apprentice. It yeah. It's not It's not the name of this one file that was the Death Star. Pl- no, it's, it's a giant base that blows up. Perfect. All right, class. All right, class. Everyone take your seats. Our first lesson. Let's recite the Arabesh. All right. Repeat after me. Arik, Besh, Kresh, Dorn, Esh, Vorn, Vrek, Grek, Her... 
can't even keep the bit going. I can't even get the good. I going. wanted to see how long uh, you'd it, make it. Iskjen eth krill leth mern nerd oskpeth quek 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 resh sesh senth senth trill usk ve wesk zesh yurt zerik. I don't think I'd make it there in the song. Oh, and also Chirik Enith Ornith Kenneth Kenneth just cre- no Kenneth Neneth Ornith Shen and Thesh. That was really impressive. For the record, you know what that is, of course, right? Oh, I'm familiar, Mac, but tell all of our friends. That's our ABCs in Star Wars. Wow. Okay, so now that you've all heard it, you could all learn it and repeat it, right? All right, repeat after me. Er, uh, best. Oh, Ross, you were supposed to. Oh, supposed was to I? Talk? Was I really supposed to follow along? Yeah. Listen. Okay. Every single kid in Star Wars knows this by the time they're like six. What's your excuse? That's impressive. That's impressive. Uh, you know, Un- unknown to most people, the Empire and Republic, great literacy rates. School systems, top notch. Top notch. Way they, better than what they have never, on the unknown the side of the judicial system, the military system. We have a lot of problems. But we, we, we put the appropriate budget. Teachers are one of the highest paid professions in the empire. You know, for maybe the first time ever, we just saw like a children's school in canon, uh, other than the Jedi Temple, in the Force Collector novel. Oh. So okay. I know you haven't read, haven't that, read that one, one yet, yet yeah. but I have. Uh, so, you know, if you're interested in learning what life is like in school in Star Wars, go read the first couple chapters of that because it's in there. Ugh. I, sh- I should have practiced this more. I'm just looking through it again. I'm like, I don't think you can make the ABC song work with this. You sure tried, Mac, and that's impressive uh, on its own. So, um, so is that all we're talking about? Is this topic done? Okay. we're No, no, no. So um, I, I decided I wanted to do this topic since we started. Yes. And I, I went like, and the important thing is this is completely visual, which is why we should do it for radio. Oh, I think it'll be great. Um, if you're not familiar, Arabesh is the printed language in Star Wars. It's okay. not the only one, but it's the one we see prominently throughout the films, especially since the special editions went back and all harmonized it. Like when Obi-Wan turns off the power to the tractor beam, you see the word power in Arabish. When you're at the Outlander Cafe on Coruscant, you see all the advertisements in Arabish. Um, if you play any of the recent EA games, they're shellacked in Arabish. Oh, Mac can tell you about the Arabish oh, he in can. Fallen Order. He can. I have the screenshots to prove it. And Battlefront 2. Um, so Arabish is uh, Star Wars ABCs. Um, th- the way the story goes is this. When they were making um, Return of the Jedi, they knew they had a bunch of dyna- dynamic scenes they wanted to play out. So they were going to do a lot more... Um, graphics of that were consistent. So rather than some of the experimental filmmaking they did to make the monitors and the readouts that they have in New Hope, where like the X-Wing has this readout that's just like a piece of pinched foil that tells you, I don't know. <laughs> they decided that they were going to fall through an empire and basically make all the screens look like they come from the same design language, basically modeled on the TIE fighter from New Hope. That kind of like scan lined, primary colors, very simple like line art. And one of the things they decided when they were doing um, Empire was, well, R2-D2 is in the back of the X-Wing. How is he going to talk to Luke while Luke's flying to Dagobah? And they gave a readout. Well, we know Luke reads the readout and understands it. 
because he also couldn't hear R2. There's no sound in space. So what is the words on there? Are they English like they were in the first movie? That doesn't mm. seem to make sense, especially considering how much of an international audience we got. <laughs> so they invented this series of glyphs, these little symbols that became Arabesh. And by the time you got to Return of the Jedi, for the most part, there were some of the prop designers had a little chart that was most of the characters they were using. They were trying to repeat them. Like they knew what E was. So that had the right repetition. Mm, okay. um, and in some ways this eventually led to stuff that got archived for um, a group called band from the ranch, which was uh, part of Skywalker sound, which was at the time sprocket works on Lucasfilm that basically invents the languages for aliens. And they've been doing that for years for tons of other movies. I think their first one was, um, I think they did some of the languages for, I think, the Alien franchise as it went oh, on. Okay. And they did some of the work for, I want to say, oh, I'm trying to think of an, a killer app. I know they did the the stuff for Independence Day. Um, oh, okay. They create fake languages that sound like language. So they did this. And he's just like kind of in joke among some prop designers and stuff like that. This leads to one of the biggest centerpieces of original EU that is often forgotten because so much of it's gone was in the mid eighties uh, off of the boom of role-playing games that started in the late seventies with Dungeons and Dragons was a little company called West End Games and West End Games talked directly to Lucasfilm and got the rights to create a Star Wars role-playing game for tabletop. Now this is when it was way nerdier than it was now. We're kind of in a renaissance for tabletop role-playing games. So most people are familiar with Dungeons and Dragons and what you do at a Dungeons and Dragons table now. But in the 80s, it was a huge booming activity amongst the ultra nerdy. And the ultra nerdy wanted more details. So this is where we get so many things. This is where the command, um, like the insignias for the Republic, or the, I'm sorry, the rebellions, military the empire's military this is where they codified what those ranks were this is where they figured out what the name of all the starships was the yt-1300 is the millennium falcons model type because of west end games there are so many foundational parts of what we think of as the eu that came from this role-playing game system and one of the biggest one was someone from west end games got that little cheat sheet they used for the prop makers filled in the blanks that weren't filled out and made a functional alphabet for Star Wars. So you're telling me that when all of these Star Wars mobile games add all of this new information to canon now, mm -hmm. we should take it pretty seriously because it's just the modern day equivalent of what West End Games was doing. Well, it's kind of weird that like in the dark times when my fandom kind of grows up from, which is I was more at the end of it, like the early 90s. But like, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you. That role-playing game, which I owned when it became the second edition, it's the first role-playing book I ever owned because it had Star Wars on the cover. Sure. Um, and that and, like, LucasArts, the video game company, added more to canon than almost anything outside of Timothy Zahn's novel as far as, sure, like, sure. in that period. So it is important. And um, leading to that, uh, I came familiar with Arabish because when I got the... Um, Episode one, Monopoly, the the nice one that had like the snap in like hotels and mm -hmm, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the and the coins on the back of the coin was this weird seven with two marks on it. 
and you looked at the back of the instruction manual for Monopoly and it had Arabish and it would have all the glyphs. And one of them was a seven with two slashes on it was credits. That's the symbol for credits. And I'm like, there's a symbol for credits. There's a dollar sign in Star Wars. I'm like, there's letters in Star Wars. And I must have been in fourth or fifth grade. No, a little bit later than that. When did that come out? When was Star Wars Monopoly, the original edition, come out? I think it was between 97 and 99, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, Yeah, because it wasn't episode one. It was the original classic trilogy. It was the first Monopoly Star Wars. And I just remember busting open a notebook. And like every day, I wrote down the alphabet. And I kept writing it down until I was starting to be able to scribble in it and write in it. Um. And that's the super nerdy thing to do because it's a very simple thing. It's um, what they call a often a substitution cipher, uh, which basically means it's our alphabet, but just each each letter has been replaced by something else. Minus there um, in Arabish, there are eight extra characters. So our alphabet has like 24. There has like 36 um, with all the glyphs and all that stuff. And the 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 extra characters are basically not used anymore. Barely anyone uses them, but they're for blended sounds like ch or th or um, <laughs> um, or uh, sounds like AE sounds and stuff like that, which was, I think, just to get give some flavor or trying to force some of the stuff we saw on screen. Return of the Jedi to make sense. OK, 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 I'm with you. So I'm a hyper nerd and I'm writing all of this and Little did I know, 15 some odd years later, it would pay off. It would finally become worth it. Because when they started making the prequels, they took the West End game thing because Lucas um, licensing picked it up and they made that canon that that is how all the words, pretty much every printed thing you see in Star Wars from 99 on, or I guess, I guess 97 from the special editions on works like people have screen grabbed when R2 talks to Luke in empire and you can read his actual quotes. Um, one of the most famous examples of, you know, in jokes of this kind of sort was the last Jedi. There's a part where BB eight's doing the same mm -hmm. thing. He's, he's talking to Poe and Poe's reading a readout. Well, if you freeze frame, look at the readout and try to like read it. His beeps mean I've got a bad feeling about this, making it so that I've got a bad feeling about this appears in every single Star Wars. Um, Arabish is this, I guess, I guess it's the ultimate nerdy in joke for Star Wars, because there's so much little tiny bits of information that exist only if you can read and decode this secret language. It really is great that the details matter. Yeah. Right. When you're looking around this universe, these details, this language that you see printed on things, it matters. It's mm -hmm. part of it. It's real. It's not just an art decision. It is part of the bigger story. Yeah. And it's something that adds flavor. So as yeah. as you know, <laughs> um, my middle school self has been reawakened. He's not as fluent as he was when he was like, you know, 13. <laughs> Had a lot more time on your hands probably, right? We're getting back there though. Um, <laughs> because now one of the biggest things about Arabesh, which 
just means the alphabet because it's era and Besh are the first two letters, just like alpha and beta are the first two letters of our alphabet. Um, it's everywhere. Disney is fallen in love with it in a way that Lucasfilm was never in love with it. <laughs> From the word go, I remember with um, two weeks ago, we had our friend Chris on and Chris and I went to Chicago's um, Star Wars celebration. And I remember we were standing watching the Star Wars show and Chris is like looking at me and I'm looking at my phone. And I'm looking at the, the, the set and looking at my phone and looking at the set. And he's like, Hey man, what's going on? I'm like, I know what like three of those letters are on that cargo container. <laughs> And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's been a long time. And I like, I had a little cheat sheet on my phone that I looked up on the internet, but I'm like looking up, looking down and trying to translate it. And then we went over to the galaxy's edge, like booth. And it was covered in not only Arabish, but a very Arabish looking English font. And I could see that there were little things. And so I'm just like decoding, I'm decoding. And then Chris goes to the opening of, um, uh, Walt Disney World's Galaxy Edge, and he's sending you and me pictures of like, guys, yeah. just check this out, it's so cool. And all I'm doing is I'm just like getting out my sharpie and going like, all right, that's an A, that's a B. I'm like, guys, 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 that that sign over the droids, it says, these aren't the droids you're looking for. That's hilarious <laughs> because um, Disney has had fun with their hidden Mickey's in their parks yeah. and stuff. So the Imagineers and the people that are engineering like Galaxy's Edge enjoy the fact of putting these subtextual things that are like one percenters only one yeah. percent of people are ever going to know this yeah and their app translates some of that but there's some hand-drawn arabish around that park that chris sent us that like i had to really squint to translate that i don't think the auto app will translate for you um and that's kind of cool that it's 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 no longer the ultimate nerdy thing it's slowly ebbing out because another thing is i played through battlefront 2 and fallen order in this last calendar year um, and I felt bad because all I did was I kept sending you like, like <laughs> screenshots where I'd use the markup tools on my phone to like, this is what this says. This is amazing. It was great. And you know what is funny, Mac, is I did save some of them. Okay. So I thought I could just give us a little bit of a reference here for, uh, for what we're talking about. So let's see here if I can find, cause when you started, like when you first opened the game and started playing, yeah. you were sending me all sorts of screenshots. I have six that you sent me <laughs> just from the first level, for the first like the like, tutorial level. Well, it's really funny because the first level, like you go a little bit and then you like you start the story and you're like, so what do you think about the story? I'm like, I haven't seen the story. There are so many signs to decode in this construction yard. <laughs> I can't leave yet. And to give you an idea... Here's one that had three separate decoded messages on it from Mac, <laughs> written in this nice orange font here so I could see it against this gray world. Uh, here's one side that says, Worksite, Hangar. Yes. Another sign that says, Caution, Watch Out for Droids. <laughs> Another one that says, Do Not Climb. Which is funny because you climb that area. And then here's the next one, Helmet Required, Helmert's may be purchased at the guild store for 250 credits. So, so we can stop right there. Like that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about is apparently this, this construction site is run by a guild and apparently even basic safety equipment comes out of your pay. <laughs> How in the world did you see these? Well, I got a 4k TV that helps. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I like this one. Imperial security bureau, active operation, 
looters will be shot. That, that's all over. There's a couple of places that have those. And then I liked how you even point out there are directional signs. Yes. That if you can read them, actually tell you where to go in the game. Yeah. The, the thing that was fun is whoever was the environment designer specifically for Fallen Order um, really embraced the real worldness of it. They're like, if you were in a construction site, there'd be hard hat helmets, but they're not going to be written in English. They're just going to be written in the language of Star Wars. <laughs> and so most of those signs that are coded, none other than like the guild helmet thing, and even that's kind of weird, most of them aren't interesting. Right. But they make the world feel more real. They make it feel like a place that we're yes. familiar with. Yes. I I agree completely. And... um. And it's one of those things of I'm close to being able to sight read with it. And there's just a lot of fun that a lot of designers do. Because if you're a designer and you're making a Star Wars game, right? Or you're making a Star Wars image. Because we've seen some fan art that I've decoded for you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, decoded at you. Um, where Arabish is this just really fun thing. Because all you do is you just highlight your font, change it out with an Arabish font, and it's suddenly translated. No one's like translating it. So it's very yeah. easy to do. But the decoding is this like extra little special, like, again, it's a secret. It's it's not meant to be anything. And most of the time I've ever translated anything. It's all stuff that mostly makes sense. The, the biggest jokes I've seen are things like, again, in the droid depot at Galaxy's Edge number two, they have a sign that says, warning, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Like, that's <laughs> obviously a joke to people who know Star Wars, but it's also not completely a sign that would make no sense in the context that it's presented. Right. Right. And so, like I said, Chris sent us labels and like one of my favorite Star Wars possessions that I own. And I remember freaking out when it was announced was at the Galaxy's Edge panel, which Chris and I couldn't attend. They gave out the Coca-Cola shirt, but the Coca-Cola logo has been redrawn with all of its dynamic ribbon and fluid cursives font. But it's all in Arabish. Which is outstanding. It is, especially how much they bent a Kirk to make the the C kind of work, because <laughs> it's it's a very different symbol. Um. So again, we 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 I've talked about Arabish for the last couple of minutes, and I just want to encourage people to poke around and check it out. If nothing else, check it out in like the Disney Parks app. If you are if you are yeah. in Disney World, there are signs all over the place. Yeah. And if you don't know the lingo or don't have a translator, there are things you will miss. Like a classic one that um, people who are like me and nerds, um, there's a button on the smuggler's run in the foyer before you actually go into the actual cockpit. There's a button and a scripted thing happens during the prep. And if you can read Arabish, it says, if something occurs, press this button in case of emergency. And if you go over and press that button, it stops this like alarm from going off because you know what that button does because you read it. Wow. So it's, it's little things like that that just make me really happy that there is this secret language to star Wars. It's almost like the ultimate inside joke. Yeah, exactly. That for, for the, for the most, uh, is dedicated the right word for the, for um, the most, uh, diehard Arabish it, fans uh, as it, for, for the biggest nerds. You can say that. I yeah, mean, that's probably the best. The thing about it is that's fun about Arabish is, again, it never is needed. Like, when you look around Fallen Order, you're like, oh, those are probably construction signs, I guess. Yeah. You don't need to know what they mean. But it's really, really awesome that there's a handful of us running around who are writing and reading this stuff who think it's really cool that 
Star Wars is a place and it has its own language. Yeah. So thank you to Respawn and all of these Absolutely. other companies, uh, Walt Disney Company and all of these other companies who are pushing Arabesh so Mac can have so much fun with it. Yes, and also it's disabled currently, but by the time that Force Awaken was out, they might dust it off. Google Translate, its visual translator and its app, actually can translate Arabish. I think it's deactivated right now because of licensing, but... Interesting. Okay. Even Google knows Arabish. Even Google knows the importance of the galaxy-wide standard. All right. I guess we can move on to something else now. Let's do it. Thanks for teaching me about Arabish, Mac. All right. Next class, we're going to work on hand, handwriting and penmanship. <laughs> What a great day we had. It was a good one. You taught me so much about Arabish. I'm so glad I could talk at you for a couple of minutes about Arabish. I really had a lot of fun. If you were listening to that last topic and go, did Ross leave the room? No. <laughs> no Mac just were... has enough to say. Oh. I... And that's fine because I we knew that was going to how... happen going in. I couldn't believe I had that yeah. much passion for it. Like, it's well, just such a cool cool part of my my life story I, it's okay I, you now you when we talk about porgs oh you can just be on right. the other end of it the revenge except the i can go way longer than 15 minutes on porgs. when we sit down and say we got three topics to record and then we start the porg one and we said like well we'll probably have to divide this over at least two weeks of episodes <laughs> hey we had a three-hour episode a couple weeks ago and it was one of our most popular yet so maybe, maybe we'll people... just release a longer one next time hey, who knows I mean, that brings it up like we just want to let you know um We've been talking about the fact that um, at the end of the year, we've decided that going forward, we're going to do seasons. Every year is going to be a season for us. It gives us a chance to sort of just remix some stuff. We're, we're not changing the format or anything, but like we're going to try some new things in the new year. And um, we would love to do that with your feedback, um, whether it's through Twitter or, 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 or whatever way you want to reach out to us. Uh, Star Wars all in at gmail.com. Yeah, please email us. Let us know like what communities you want us to engage. Do you guys want us over on Discord? Do you want us on Patreon? Do you want us on, uh, well, we sort of made a Facebook, but then do you, do you want us to mostly <laughs> talk to us? Like, like, let us know where you are so we can get some feedback because as we keep tinkering and twisting and working on the show, I want to know if Arabish bothered the snot out of you or you really enjoyed that i want to know if three hours was a nice length or that was too long um we're gonna keep making our own wild guesses as what we think you want based yeah. on st the numbers we can see yeah we're starting to see some basic trends but in general uh we just really appreciate any feedback we can get we've gotten some for sure uh, we've gotten some in-person in, uh, in yeah. feedback from some people we know. We've gotten some feedback from a view out there uh, who live a little bit farther away from us. Uh, and it is very much appreciated. So just know that any thoughts you have, whether they're positive or negative about the show, Mac and I are happy to hear them because we do want to keep tweaking things as this goes on. And we have some really fun stuff up our sleeves we, for the new year. We do. And um, we, we are excited for you to be part of it. We want you to stay here. We want to settle in, enjoy mm -hmm. all the nonsense that mm -hmm. we have, and, and be part of our community so that we can make the show serve you better. Because yes. um, while we are 
in our own little way of hubris, writing the show and spending time indulging ourselves with topics like Arabish. Mm -hmm. um, the point of the matter is this show is for everyone, and that includes us, but that also includes you, and we want you to be part of that. Absolutely. Now, having said that, because we're at the end of our episode here, I'd really like to invite you all back next week because we're mm -hmm. going to be changing things up a little bit next week because next week, if you're listening to this on the day this episode airs, uh, you know, December 11, 2019, we are now just over a week away, we, nine days away. We have never been closer. This is the closest we've ever been to oh, the rise of Skywalker. So exciting. It's incredible. So having said that, we're going to do something a little bit different the week, we, the week leading up to Rise of Skywalker. Right. So on Monday, the 16th, we are going to be releasing a special episode, our first independent, not part of the normal order, special episode. This episode is going to be one topic. And it is going mm -hmm. to be our Rise of Skywalker predictions. Yeah. Okay. So Mac and I are going to be going through a little bit of our predictions uh, before we saw the first trailer, after we it's, saw the first trailer. It's our last. And then kind of our last little hurrah here. It's our last opportunity to kind of talk about what we think Star, Star Wars, the Rise of Skywalker could yeah. be before we know. Yeah. And as you know, if you've been listening to us for a little while now, uh, we're not super into the speculative nature of Star Wars here right. at Star Wars All In. We like to talk about the Star Wars that we have, not the Star Wars that's coming. We want to focus on analyzing and going into detail about what has already been released. So this will be the rare exception where you'll get to hear Mac and I's in-the-moment opinions about uh, where and, this next film could be heading. And we want to let you know that all of our special editions will be marked separately. They'll, they'll start with the words SE, which is for a special edition. Yeah. And we want to let you know that you don't have to listen to them. If you're not in the, in the mood for like listening to our ideas or, or anything like that, understand they are aside from our main show. Yes, we will still have a regular episode next mm -hmm. week on the 18th, the typical Wednesday. It will probably be a little bit shorter. But it's a, it's it a heavy production be, week for us. Yes, <laughs> but it will be uh, at least a single traditional topic episode. We're thinking about doing something similar to our Force Friday retrospective. So, you know, come back on the 18th and hear that. And mm -hmm. then on the 20th, we will be releasing our initial thoughts. Now, we actually have some other plans coming up here uh, that we'll reveal uh, next week. So, and 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 watch for our um, social media accounts because that's probably yeah. where you get the most up to minute if we are, if our harebrained schemes came together or not. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna try and reach out a little bit more than usual and and try to make this um, yeah. our first kind of community event, I guess. Yeah. We'll but no what matter happens. what, we will have shows. On the 16th, 18th, and 20th, Correct. the week The Rise of Skywalker. So definitely come back and check us out. But Mac, for tonight, I think that's all I want to say about Star Wars. I think it's been great. And you know what? Like I said, we'll see you actually on Monday. But if you're listening to just the regular show, we'll see you again next Wednesday when we come back for another episode of Star Wars All In. And until then, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Grieco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, movie clips, and sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2019.
your host for a special edition of Star Wars All In. Wow, a remastered, re-enhanced, with new scenes added episode? McCulkey's in here. We're bringing everything. It's going to be an amazing new place. I love when you say things about Star Wars and you're like one or two letters off. Whenever you're like, Rise of the Skywalker. Yeah. Or that's those are my favorite Mac moments where like, I know what he's saying. Anyone who knows so Star wait, wait, wait. Wars know what knows what he means. What, what, but what? I love when it happens okay. because okay. it always makes me smile. What was it? Cause so McClunky. McClunky. And you said what? McCulky? You said McCulky I, I keep Culkin? Hearing, when I first heard it, yeah. McC- yeah, it's, it's that's what I heard. Um, McClunky. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be a very different See, episode if you can't tell. Now, one thing I wanted to tell you about our special edition that is important to understand <laughs> is our special editions, we've tried. This first season of Star Wars All In, we've tried to make our topics compartmentalized mm-hmm. so that you can listen to any part without having to listen to the other ones this one is time stamped hello it is monday december 16th 2019 we are yes. in real time right now in the future it is not december 16th if you're listening no. to this in the future if you're listening to it any time after the 20th of this week a lot of what we're about to say isn't gonna make any sense it'll be a lot more interesting maybe it'll be a lot <laughs> because funnier. you'll be able to see how much we were right and wrong. And I suspect we'll be mostly wrong. Because what this episode is, is this is us discussing, essentially our, if you will, we'll, we'll steal from Delray, our journey to the rise of Skywalker. Because yes. we're going to talk about the our, our predictions, what we think might happen, and how that's changed over the materials being released as we get closer and closer to release. And we're just going to kind of discuss it with you so that we kind of, Again, give you an idea of the headspace we're going into as yes. we go forward in this week. Now, we have a regular episode a little bit later this week on Wednesday, our normal launch day. And then at the end of this week or in the future, you can find it as special edition two. <laughs> we will be having our reactions to the rise of Skywalker. Yes. yes. And that will come out on the 20th. So it, it's, it's exciting times to be a Star Wars. This, Three episodes this week. I was going to say. As if sitting in a theater for like 10 hours in the span of 24 hours isn't enough. Yeah. Let's overdo it, Mac. Wow. You, you want to get remind, sick? You've just reminded me how much work we have to do this week. It's going to be. But at the end of it, we'll yeah. have seen a new Star Wars movie That's sometime, true. some amount between two and five times. And admittedly, probably the last time we're going to have a new Star Wars movie for a while. This will be the last time, hypothetically, I'll get to see a saga film twice in the same day. Oh, my gosh. You better believe I'm ready. Oh, it's going to be good. And I think our predictions are going to be, if nothing else, amusing to you. So It's going to be amusing for me. I know that. So those of you who are chomping at the bed listening to this in real time, we hope you are delighted by some of the theories we're adding to your own theories and mixing them. Please let us know what you think is going to happen in reaction to this on our social media accounts. You future folk who already know what happens, it should be funny. We're probably really really well (laughs) all right mac i'm ready let's jump into it huh 